Isaiah chapter 30. Let's read verses 9 through 11. That this is a rebellious people, lying children, children that will not hear the law of the Lord, which say to the seers, See not, and to the prophets, prophesy not unto us right things, speak unto us smooth things, prophesy deceits. Get you out of the way, turn aside out of the path, cause the Holy One of Israel to cease from before us. And so we're doing a series on deception. This is the fifth part. We have at least two more, probably, uh, possibly three, but at least two more than I think the Lord's given me. And again, I'm going to say it every time that the purpose of this on series on deception is that we would understand the times in which we live. It's very important spiritually that we see ourselves. Where am I on this thing? Am I before the flood of Noah? You know, where am I? Uh, we're in the end times. We're in the times that lead to the, uh, the rapture of the church, which will be gone. Hallelujah. If we're born again and, and the tribulation period and then the second coming of Christ right on the heels of that. So what are we living? We're living in the last part of that timeline that's getting close to the return of the Lord. And the prominent, not the only, but the prominent characteristic spiritually of that time frame. What's it going to be like? It's going to be, take heed that no man deceive you. Many shall come in my name, saying, I am Christ. And people will say, oh, he's out there. He's in the desert. He's in the inner chamber, wherever. This is from Matthew 24. Don't go after them. There'll be uh, lying signs and wonders with all deceivableness of them. Uh, and and that people will uh, tend to believe this stuff and can believe it. So this is why we're talking about it, that we would understand that we ourselves could stand in the truth, hold the right doctrine, be thankful for right doctrine, stay grounded, and not fall into the, the traps and snares there's many false doctrines you have already rejected and you have no part of. But there could be a new one tomorrow that's more subtle. Okay? We have to be on guard. And the way is to be grounded in the truth, in Christ, filled with the Holy Spirit, students of His Word, uh, in the body, worshiping the Lord together, walking closely with the Lord. But uh, it's not to, this, the purpose of this series is not to make us afraid. It's to make us sober. Be vigilant. Vigilant, be sober, because we have an enemy. Okay? And so I just want to read this scripture. For taking notes, it's Jeremiah 14 14. Then the Lord said unto me, The prophets prophesy lies in my name. Jeremiah 14 14. The prophets prophesy lies in my name. I sent them not, neither have I commanded them, neither spake unto them. They prophesy unto you a false vision and divination and a thing of naught, and the deceit of their own heart. This is the nature, or almost like a description, what's a false prophet like? The Lord says, I didn't send them. I didn't speak to them. That word is not a word that I spoke to them, but how are they doing it? In my name. They're prophesying to you in my name, but I never spoke to them. I never gave them that prophecy. It's a deceit from their own heart. Okay, it's a deceit from their own heart. So we're going to look today, y'all, um, just to recap very briefly, we've looked at what's so bad about deception. I think that's the first one we open with. What's the big deal about it? Well, it has eternal consequences. It's God's truth. This is not just some, uh, you know, s secular truth. 
that people would argue over. It's God's truth. He is the way, the truth, and the life. Alright? And we're to continue in the truth. It's everything. So it's serious. We talked about uh, what gives what gives the seducing spirits and doctrines of devils. What gives deception its power? Well, we know Satan is behind it all. You could dig through it all and basically get to the root of it. Where did this lie come from? In the name of the Lord, this lie. In the pulpit, in this Christian book, in this uh, whatever, in this song. Where did that lie come from? It's so deceptive. It got people following it. It almost got me following it. Where did it come from? Ultimately, it comes from the enemy, Satan. He's a liar and the father of lies. And so we know that. Then we talked about how does it have its effect? We know Satan's behind it, but why is it that one person is deceived and one is not deceived? They're both believers say. Because one, we talked about this a few weeks ago, gives heed to it. That's the only way deception has any real grip or hook in an individual's life is if the person gives heed to it. If you and I said, no, I don't give heed to that. I know it's not of God. Holy Ghost in me has warned me, shown me clearly that's not of God. I don't, I'm not going to pull up a chair and say, tell me a little bit more. We don't give heed to it. Then we don't, we're not gonna, It's not going to have any effect in our lives. Could be most the clever, trickiest. Most most people are falling into it. Deception that ever happened it has no power on the least saint of God who doesn't give heed to it. Amen. All right, it's very important. And now today, what we're going to look at, y'all, we're going to look at the the uh, the test, I guess you would say, to identify a false prophet, to recognize a false prophet. What are the signs? What what do they look like? And by the way, I'll tell you this, it's not subjective. You know what I mean by that? It's not subjective. You think they're a false prophet, but I don't. Uh, it's not like that. It's not a matter of personal opinion. It's not a matter of personal preference. It's not based on merely on how you and I as Christians feel about that prophet or that pastor. It's not based upon personal feelings. It's not based upon any of that. It's not based upon whether or not that individual is sincere or claims to be sincere. Saul of Tarsus, y'all. One thing about Saul, when he was lost and persecuting Christians, having some killed and thrown in prison and held the robes of those that were stoning God's man Stephen at the time, before he knew Christ, Saul of Tarsus, I don't think Saul was a hypocrite. There were a lot of hypocrites in his day. There were a lot of Pharisees that were hypocrites. I don't think Saul of Tarsus was a hypocrite, which means an actor. He firmly believed. He tells us in his testimonies, I fully thought fully that I was serving God and was more zealous for the, my, the tradition and the religion of my, my, for my fathers and the God of my fathers than other people were. I thought I was serving God. All right? Saul of Tarsus, what am I pointing about that? He was sincere. He was completely sincere in having pers- persecuted Christians and having them thrown in prisons and wanting to go for more. He was going to Syria, to Damascus to do more when God saved him. So he was sincere, but he was sincerely what? Wrong. So I know you've heard that before. Sincerity is, is, is not the test of a prophet whether or not they're of God. There is a story I was reading. A true story. And there is a, a ship. I don't know what, what the, the, the year was, but there was a ship, a ship called the Duncan Dunbar. And it was pulling into this 
uh, was going to pull into this harbor in Sydney, Australia. And Sydney has the most, one of the, I didn't really know this, but has one of the most perfect, beautiful harbors for ships. It's deep, it's wide, it's surrounded by like cliffs and things right around it. And um, so there, it was nighttime and this ship filled with hundreds of passengers. Uh, the, the captain, he, he knew it well. And there's a, on the north side of the entrance to the harbor, there's a big rock with a, with a light on it. And it's, the, it's called North Head. And then there's the opening to the channel. And on the south, there's another rock with a light on it called South Head. And then south of that further is another group of rocks down the coastline called Jacob's Ladder. Well, for whatever reason, I don't know if there was clouds or fog, he mistook, mistook uh, South Head for being North Head. And he mistook Jacob's Ladder for being South Head. So he's thrusting his ship full speed ahead with hundreds of passengers into what he thinks is this opening between the two rocks into the safety of the harbor. And he thrust it right up onto the rocks. And every single passenger died. One guy was, that survived was thrown up in, by a wave into a, like a cave. Threw him up into a cave and he survived. But what's the point of that? That he was very sincere. He didn't say, I'm going to kill all these people. He mistook South Head as thinking it was North Head. And he mistook Jacob's Ladder thinking it was South Head. And instead of bringing them to the safety of a harbor, he brought them to their death in a bunch of rocks and, and brought the ship there. Sincerity is not enough. God has given us a standard. I'm so glad because y'all were living in a day and age where just uh, your opinion, people's opinions, you have to respect their opinions, even if it's totally idiotic, even if it's totally not based on reality or life. They demand that you respect their opinion. And, and the, the God has given a test for or a standard for truth and for error. He's given a standard. And it's not subjective within the church. That same attitude is prevalent in the church. If we're going to judge whether a prophet and his prophecy, our teacher and his teachings is in the name of the Lord, is really of the Lord or not of the Lord, God has given the standard for that. Again, it's not a matter of personal opinion. There, God has given the standard for truth versus false. Uh, is the prophecy true? They claim to be of God. How are we to know whether it's of God or not? God does not leave us unequipped or ill-equipped in that area. He doesn't leave us ill-equipped for anything in this life, does He? He's given us all things that pertain unto life and godliness through our knowledge of Him who's called us to glory and virtue. We're not ill-equipped. And we're not unequipped. We have Christ with us. And He has equipped us in this area. So if you just got saved yesterday, okay, you're equipped. If you'll keep your eyes on Jesus, you're equipped. And He's given us the body and, and things like that. But uh, we, we have to go to the Lord. As, as the redeemed of the Lord, we have to go to God. We have to take His standard and say, okay, this is your standard for judging truth and error. Truth and false. True prophet and prophecy are false prophet and prophecy. We're going to take your standard and that's what we're going to use. Now, all of us can do that, right? The least saint, the newest saint, the youngest child, we can do that. And so the Spirit of God who indwells in us 
gives us understanding from the Word of God. We're going to have a whole lesson just on that coming up. But this God has given us the standard to know the truth from the false. And by the way, there's no middle ground. There's not a middle ground between spiritual truth and error. A truth and a lie. There's no meeting place. There's no middle ground. Now, in, in the secular world, I, I would say that there's times, and I've mentioned it before, that it's good that, that we can compromise. You know, you go to buy a car and you say, uh, I'm not spending more than 20000 on this car. And the salesman says, I won't sell it for any less than 21000 And somewhere in there, you, maybe you can agree on 20500 you know, and both people are happy and they leave with the new car. There are places in life <clears throat> where you can compromise or reach agreements that it actually can be helpful. But there's no place with this right here. None. It's not an admirable characteristic. It's not a Christian trait or quality. We know the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, and so forth. Compromise of truth is not one of those. And we see it today, it's almost held up as being admirable that we can meet in the middle when something that God doesn't meet on the middle. Where God has said, thus saith the Lord. And we want to compromise with men. And that's the problem. Our eyes are not on the Lord. We want to compromise with men. And we see it. And it's not of the Lord. There's not a middle ground. God's truth is not for sale. It's not for compromise. It's not to find a happy medium or a middle ground. Uh, there are religions, including the Christian religion, I would have to say in name, that is trying to find middle ground with Islam. Let's find there's more that bind us. There's more we have in common than, than, than divides us. It sounds wonderful. The world loves that. You know what I'm saying? But that's not my... Jesus said my doctrine's not my own. It's not even His to compromise. When He was on this earth, that's what He said. And so... We have to go. Uh, tr truth is not a bargaining chip. To I'm going to bargain with it and come to something lesser than truth to to, to build a bridge here. I hear a lot about building bridges and, and yet there's no bridges being built. There's nothing really happening. The world's not more at peace than it was last year. You understand what I'm saying? There's not more peace. There's more wars and more hatred. Look at the news. Look at the venom coming out of people. In our own country, in politics, it's not normal. It's not Republican, Democrat. It's venom and hatred. And so there's not a middle ground. And we cannot compromise truth of, the truth of God to please men. Church people do it. Don't do it. It's not ours to do. You can't do it. And when you're through, you're left with a lie. You compromise the truth. What are you left with? You see what I'm saying? It's not. It's not what God intended to be. Jesus said, either make the tree good and His fruit good or make the tree corrupt and His fruit corrupt. For the tree is known by its fruit. It's one or the other. It's not a halfway corrupt tree. He's talking to people. You might have a tree that's halfway corrupt, halfway diseased, but in life, for a believer or follower of God, either make the tree good and His fruit good, be what you say you are, and claim to be in Jesus and walk like this Bible says, or don't be that and stop... Stop claiming that you do belong to God. Because it's not ours to, to compromise. Okay, so we're going to look at the two tests today. There, there, there are many in the Scriptures. We're going to look specifically at two because it says, here's a test for a false prophet. I mean, well, I don't have to reinvent the wheel. It's in God's Word. 
Uh, let's turn to Deuteronomy. We're going to start. There's two of them. We're going to look at the second one first, just because it just helps for me to lay it out better that way. Deuteronomy chapter 18, verse 20. Now we have in our church have gone over these scriptures before, but maybe in more detail today. Deuteronomy chapter 18. These are things you ought to write down. I promise you, these are notes you would want to know. Okay. If nothing else, these these two scriptures we're gonna we're gonna get our our text from Deuteronomy 18 23 through 22. But the prophet which shall presume to speak a word in my name. So he's called a prophet, and he's speaking in what name? The name of Satan? No, he's speaking in the name of Jehovah. One true living God, okay? In our day, it would be in the name of the Lord, in the name of Jesus Christ, which shall presume to speak a word in my name, which I have not commanded him to speak, or that shall speak in the name of other gods. So it's concluding both of those. Those that speak in my name, or they speak in the name of another God, that which I have not commanded him to speak. Even that prophet shall die. We're not even talking in this sermon about the judgment that God pronounced upon the prophets. Okay? But, and if thou say in thine heart, now this is an honest, good question. Thank the, thank the Lord that He speaks to simple people like us. Look at verse 21. And if you say in your heart, how shall we know the word which the Lord had not spoken? How am I going to know? They said that they came in the name of God, came in the name of Jesus. They're standing in a pulpit, they got a coat and tie, and they got a Bible in their hand. They went to seminary, maybe. They've been pastoring that church for 25 years, 50 years, whatever. Uh, you say in your heart, well, Lord, how am I going to know the word that the Lord has not spoken? Verse 22, when a prophet speaketh in the name of the Lord, if the thing follow not nor come to pass, that is the thing which the Lord had not spoken. <laughs> it's, almost, it's almost so simple, you just laugh at it. The prophet says this is going to happen and it doesn't happen. Okay? But... But the prophet had spoken it presumptuously. Thou shalt not be afraid of him. Because you know what? There can come a lot of fear when it comes into this stuff about deception. And it, it can be scary. Um, deception and am I being deceived? Are my children being deceived? Or, or what's going on? And uh, it, it, it's almost, it can just be scary and mysterious. Well, here's the first, here's the first standard or test. Prophet prophesies for our sakes. Let's say in the name of another God, we know it's false. I'm throwing that one out because it's too easy for us as believers. All right, but they claim to speak in the name of the Lord. He says that it's very simple. If the thing follow not, nor come to pass, that is the word which the Lord hath not spoken. That man or woman spoke it presumptuously in my name, and you should not be afraid of him or her, whoever it is. And so that's, how is that a test of a false prophet? Well, I'll tell you how it's a test of a false prophet. Because God's prophecies come true. This is very simple. God's prophecies come true, not most of the time, not 99% of the time. This is not the church, the Latter-day Prophets. Uh, the, the Church of the Prophets and Kansas City Prophets where they teach you and train you. There's a big resurgence of this. Bethel's involved in that. IHOP, uh, Bill Bickle, I think, and, and these people that are part of these Latter-day Prophets, they're going to have their school 
where they train people. And they might make some mistakes and prophesy over you, then come prophesy over Sherry. And oh, I might have made a mistake, but don't judge him. You know, he's just he's learning. That is nowhere to be found in Scripture. He's telling us right here. If they speak in my name and the thing follow not, nor come to pass, that is the word that I have not spoken. Don't be afraid of him. As a false prophet, he said in the scripture before they should die. I'm not telling you where to go out and kill false prophets. I'm telling you what the Bible says, okay? And so it's a test of a false prophet because his prophecy is not true. It didn't come to pass. And it's very simple, it's very clear, and it's very direct. And God's prophecies come true. And they come true all of the time. They come through true 100% of the time. Every, every prophecy that the Lord has given in His Word that should have been fulfilled by now has been fulfilled by now. Every single one. The ones that are, have not been fulfilled are yet future and they will be fulfilled. End times things. That's really about all we're left with now. Rapture, okay, the, the tribulation, the second coming, the new heaven and earth, the millennial reign, all that is still future. But every other prophecy has been fulfilled. So that is a test of a false prophet. I just want to read these scriptures real quickly. Uh, Isaiah 42, 8 and 9, if you're taking notes. I am the Lord, that is my name, and my glory will I not give to another, neither my praise to any graven images. Behold, the former things are come to pass, and new things do I declare before they spring forth, I tell you of them. Now there are several scriptures in Isaiah that I love, that I've highlighted. In chapter 46, there's some more good ones, and it talks about, I want you to test me. Israel was steeped in idolatry at that time. Idols that can't speak or hear or smell or touch or deliver or help anybody. But you made with your own hands and then you bow down and worship them. Let your idols declare to you something. Now, this is how you know I'm God. I will speak something and it will come to pass. He says, the, I declare. Uh, he says, the former things are come to pass and new things I do declare before they spring forth, I tell you of them. It's one of the ways in a major way he wants us to test him like that because he doesn't want us to follow the false. So I'm going to test and see. God's always true. His always come true. His prophecies always come true. This person is hit or miss over here. I'm going to stay with God, okay? I'm not going to worship an idol. I'm not going to worship any other. I'm going to be fully devoted to this God of scriptures, this God of prophecy, because his come true every time. It says in Jeremiah 4, I have purposed it. The Lord says, and will not repent, neither will I turn back from it. If he says it, he's going to do it. Okay? He says it, he's going to do it. That is a major test of prophecy. Let me give you an example of a false prophet. Okay? A false prophecy. I have one, uh, you know, and, and I'll just read this to you. The uh, Ellen G. White is the known pretty much as the founder of the Seventh-day Adventist Church. Am I here to bash the Seventh-day Adventist Church? No, I'm not. It's a false belief system. We know it's a false belief system because there are prophecies that have been given by the leaders of this group that did not come to pass. And instead of saying 
uh, we're wrong, we're false, and the followers saying, you're wrong, you're false, I'm not following you, they make excuses for it, say, oh, oh here's why it, it was false, and they perpetuate it more. I'll give an example. Number 18 of the 28 fundamentals of this Adventist church and their doctrine basically uh, gives the viewpoint on the gift of prophecy. And this is, quote, one of the gifts of the Holy Spirit is prophecy. This gift is an identif identifying mark of the remnant church and was manifested in the ministry of Ellen G. White, they say. As the Lord's messengers, listen to what they say about Ellen G. White. As the Lord's messenger, her writings are a continuing and authoritative source of truth. Now, some people might not think twice about that, but you ought to think twice about that statement. Her statements, her writings are a continuing source of truth. Does that sound familiar like the Book of Mormons or the Pearl of Great Price that's added on to the Bible? Uh, continuing and authoritative source of truth. But God's word is truth. We're not missing anything. We don't need a continuing authority. We have the authority of the Holy Ghost in us. And the word of God, which we will not exhaust. It's not exhaustible. It's forever settled in heaven. It's pertinent. It's relevant. It's complete. It's all authoritative. It's sufficient. And so with the Holy Ghost directing us and teaching us and walking in Christ, knowing Christ as Savior and Lord, it's more than enough. And so... Uh, it says her, her words are authoritative. They, they provide for the church comfort, guidance, instruction, correction. They also make clear that the Bible is the standard by which all teaching experience must be tested. But see, that's contradicting what they're saying earlier. She was formerly a Methodist and later converted to a, a Seventh-day Adventist by the preaching of William Miller. William Miller was a false prophet who predicted that Jesus Christ would return in either 1843 or 1844. Okay, so first of all, it's unspecific. He's coming back either in 1843 or 1844. Either one, I'm not sure. But it's a prophecy. But either way, he didn't come back in 1843 or 1844. The Lord has not come back yet. We're still waiting for the Lord's return. We studied, we're studying in our Revelation Sunday School. Every eye is going to see Him. We're all going to behold. We'll be raptured before them. But listen, she also says in her teachings that the, her teaching in, in a book or a belief called the scapegoat. We know the Old Testament uh, example of the scapegoat, right? They would confess the sin. One, one, lamb, one goat would be killed and offered as a burnt offering for the sacrifice of the sins of the people. The other live goat, the priest would lay their hands and confess the sins of of the people over the scope, basically a picture didn't actually have, but it was a picture of transferring the people's sins onto this scapegoat. That, that scapegoat would be taken way out in the wilderness where it could not find its way back and let go. And basically it's bearing away the sins of the people away from them. Now that's a, a simple, simplistic teaching. But her teaching on the scapegoat is that the sins of all believers will be placed on Satan. That's blasphemous to me. This is direct contrast to what the Bible says in Isaiah 53. The Lord had laid on him the iniquity of us all. So how are we proving this? We're not making fun of Ellen G. White or William Miller or the Seventh-day Adventists. It's not a joy or laughter or anything. Ha ha, they're so stupid. It's, it's not like that. We're, we're, we're going to the Bible 
The prophecy that Christ would return in 1843 or 4 did not happen. That's a false prophecy given by a false prophet. Okay? And so, and it's about the scapegoat that all the sins of man are going to be placed on Satan. Jesus is my Savior. There's, you read the whole uh, Isaiah 53, those 12 verses. Just about everyone talks about Him. The approaches that should have come to us were laid upon Him. Him, Him, Him. It was placed on Him, not on Satan. And so these are false teachings. They're false prophets. They're not true. The prophecy about the Lord's return didn't come to pass. He's a false prophet. I'm going to give you another one in the Bible. Uh, let's turn to uh, 1 Kings chapter 22. We'll look at this and then we'll talk about this a little bit more. Now, we have done, I know I've preached on this passage more than once, but I just want to very quickly read it. This is in the days when the kingdom was divided. Jehoshaphat, who was basically a good king and feared God and walked with the Lord, the Lord had given him and the people a mighty deliverance. I believe he was a man of God. He wasn't perfect by a long shot. Uh, he was a king of Judah. And then there was a king of Israel who at this time was Ahab, and we all know about Ahab. I don't have to go into that. Ahab and Jezebel, their names are synonymous with their sin. And so Ahab was getting ready to go fight, which would have been his third war with the Syrians, Israel's seventh war with the Syrians. And he calls Jehoshaphat, king of Judah, and said, We're, your people are like our people, our people are like your people. Will you go with me and fight against the Syrians? Jehoshaphat says, sure, let's do that. You got a prophet around here we can inquire of to see if our way is going to prosper. And so let's pick up on verse 5 and 6. And Jehoshaphat, it said, Inquire, I pray thee, at the word of the Lord today. Then the king of Israel gathered the prophets together, about 400 men, and said unto them, Shall I go against Ramoth Gilead to battle, or shall I forbear? And they said, Go up, for the Lord shall deliver it into thine hand, the hand of the king. So he calls his 400 prophets to the man. All 400, that's a lot. It's a lot more we got in this room. 400 prophets to the man said, go up. God's given it to you. It's yours. Now, is that true or false? Well, we don't really know yet. Okay, we're going to find out. And so Jehoshaphat's kind of wise to it. He can tell these guys are a bunch of quacks. Okay? And he says, don't you have a real prophet here? Well, I got one real prophet here, but I hate him. I hate him. His name's Micaiah. He never prophesies anything good for me. Only bad. King says, don't say that, Ahab. Call him and let him, let him come talk to us. And so the servants go and they find Micaiah and they're bringing him. And as they're bringing him, they're saying, you better say what the other 400 said. You better say what the other 400 said. He says, I'm only saying what God tells me to say. And we, we know the story. Uh, I hope you know the story. And I don't have time to go into to every verse of it. But let's look at verse 11 and 12. And Zedekiah, so while, while, while Micaiah is being brought, these 400 prophets are basically like, they're probably just getting really pumped up and feeding off of one another and getting more bold. And they're prophesying before these two kings. They're both sitting on their thrones. What a scene that must have been. 400 false prophets prophesying between two kings. Yeah, you're going to get them. It's, it's, you, you, and, and Zedekiah, the son of this verse 11, Shanana made him horns of iron 
And he said, Thus saith the Lord, With thee shalt thou push the Syrians until thou hast consumed them. And all the prophets prophesied so, saying, Go up to Ramoth Gilead and prosper, for the Lord shall deliver into thine hand. 400 men repeatedly, over and over, saying, Absolutely, God's given it to you. We're the prophets of God. And he's even got a prop with him, okay? He makes two horns out of iron. See these? Boy, that must have looked really exciting and intimidating, very convincing, and give you uh, chills up and down your spine. He's got two iron horns. And with these, thus saith the Lord, you're going to push them into the sea until you've consumed them. But it was a lie. God didn't speak to them. That wasn't true. It's not what happened. Verse 28. So Micaiah gets up there. And he knew, he knew what was going on. And Micaiah said, uh, well, he had, already, he had already said that if that this was a lying spirit, that God sent a lying spirit in the mouth of the prophets. One man by himself speaking the truth. Okay? And God was using the whole circumstance to judge Ahab to bring him to battle where he would die. He wasn't going to prosper. Okay? And so he says in verse 28, uh, Ahab says in verse 27, throw this guy Micaiah in the prison and, and we're done with him until I come again in peace. Verse 28, Micaiah said, if thou come return at all in peace, the Lord has not spoken to, by me. And he said, hearken, O people, every one of you. And verse 29, so the king of Israel and Jehoshaphat, the king of, of Judah, went up to Ramoth Gilead. Verse 34, and a certain man drew, so they go to battle anyway. And a certain man drew a bow of, at, at a venture and smote the king of Israel between the joints of, his, of the harness. Wherefore he sat up, said unto the driver of his chariot, Turn thine hand and carry me out of the host, for I am wounded. And the battle increased that day, and the king was stayed up in the chariot against the Syrians and died at even. And the blood ran out of the, of the wound into the midst of the chariot. So... Guess what? Horns of iron. 400 prophets. Probably in their priestly robes and garments, whatever they were wearing. Sitting before two kings on their throne to the man saying, go up, you're going to prosper. Micaiah knew the truth because he knew God. He sat before God. He was a true prophet of God. When he prophesied, he wasn't just speaking out of his head. He wasn't speaking for brownie points, political points, or favor. He was going to be thrown in prison. But he said, this is what's going to happen. I saw the children of Israel scattered like a bunch of sheep and every man in shame and wounded and, and killed. That's what I saw happen. We didn't read that part. And, and it's just what happened. I just read about Ahab's death. And that's the point. That's a, those 400 of them, we know the name of one of them, Zedekiah, with the horns of iron, they were false prophets. They were false prophets. If the thing follow not, nor come to pass, that is the thing that the Lord has not spoken. You should not fear him. Test number one of the false prophet. It doesn't come to pass. Number two, let's look at Deuteronomy 13. Now this, this is even more, I guess you'd say, interesting. We really got to uh, pay attention more to this one. Deuteronomy 13, 1 through 5. If there arise among you a prophet or a dreamer of dreams and giveth thee a sign or a wonder and the sign or the wonder come to pass. Wherefore he spake unto thee saying, let us go 
unto thee, I'm sorry, let us go on after other gods which thou hast not known, and let us serve them. Thou shalt not hearken unto the words of that prophet or that dreamer of dreams. For the Lord your God proveth you to know whether you love the Lord with all your heart and with all your soul. Ye shall walk after the Lord your God and fear him and keep his commandments and obey his voice. And ye shall serve him and cleave unto him. And that prophet or that dreamer of dreams shall be put to death because he hath spoken to you to turn you away from the Lord your God, which brought you out of the land of Egypt and redeemed you out of the house of bondage to thrust thee out of the way which the Lord thy God commanded thee to walk in. So shalt thou put away the evil, put, up, put the evil away from the midst of you. All right, so do y'all, do y'all follow this one? Here's a dreamer of dreams. There arise among you a dreamer of dreams, okay, a prophet, they give her sign or wonder in verse 2, and the sign of the wonder comes to pass. Now, wait a minute. I thought you just said that was a test of a false prophet. That's one test. So in this case, this is why I did the other one first. In this case, the false prophet passed the first test as being legitimate because the first test, they prophesy and it doesn't come to pass. They're false. They're out. Now we've got another group of people. God knows they're false all along. Prophesies of something, it does come to pass. Well, that means they're true. No, he didn't say that. He gives this test. He says it, they, they prophesy, or the sign of the wonder does come to pass, but guess what? They're still exposed as being false. They're still exposed as being false. Not of God. And he says to put him to death here. It's Old Testament, I understand. But the prophet gives a son to wonder. But guess what? Everything else about that prophet they gave, that truth, sign or wonder that did come to pass, everything about him or her is wrong. Now that's something that has to sink in for a minute. Everything else about their motive in their giving their prophecy to you or to a group of people or congregation Everything else about their motive, their, their words, their reason, their love for God or lack of love for God is wrong. It's contrary to God. It's contrary to his ways. It's contrary to proper uh, worship of Jehovah. Now, let me tell you, even an unspiritual person, even an unsaved person could use that first test and say that's a false prophet. Even somebody not saved. They prophesied that saints were going to win today by 52 and they lost. Uh, that's a, I don't listen to that guy anymore. Even an unspiritual person could do that. But it takes to me, I believe, a spiritual person, somebody that really knows the Lord, to hone in on this second one because what they said did come to pass. But they're trying, and this is the key to it all, they're trying to lead you or me or their listeners into... Uh, a false system, belief system, doctrine, false practice, false worship of God, and away from the tr- truth. He has spoken to thrust you out of the way. The way being Christ. I am the way, the truth, and the life. Okay? This false prophet who did speak something or gave a sign that came to pass, but he is speaking and doing what he's doing to thrust you out of the way of God. Out of the way of the God that brought you out of Egypt here. That would have been for Israel. And so, and he says a couple of things. He's saying, let us go after other gods. 
Let us serve them. He's false. Even though his prophecy or dream came true. Don't follow him. Don't hearken him to him. Don't fear him. Don't let me tell you what else don't do. Don't say, well, well maybe. Let me give it some more thought. Well, maybe let me pull up my chair and listen to a little bit more. Let me sit through a few more sermons and services. Let's go here a little bit longer. I don't want to. I don't want to be rude. You know, I don't want to be unchristian. He's false. We can't give heed to that. God is actually. He said here, and I would think the same thing in our day. Okay, God was actually allowing that to happen. Where did where did the false prophet in this? Scripture come from. Look at verse one. If there arise among you, if among you, from among you, what does it say in Jew? That, that certain men have crept in unawares. Paul Paul said uh, in his last trip when he gathered the elders outside of Ephesus, he said there's going to be wolves from among you, not sparing the flock. He wept over them. Right here it's going to be wolves. Right here in this group. People he knew by name. And a disciple. Even from among you is going to rise up some wolves in sheep's clothing. Not sparing the flock. And so, um, it was actually a test from the Lord. The Lord is testing you or proving you, he says. Whether you're going to what? Love me with all your heart. Or are you going to act spiritual and follow after some other God? Because you've got this prophet that did a true sign came to pass. It was a test. Their love for God, their devotion for God. The false prophet, don't forget this, y'all. Please don't forget this. The false prophet or the false teacher has a motive. They have a motive that they know of. And it's calculated in their books and in their sermons and in their music and in their lighting and everything. It's not an honest mistake. You know what I'm saying? We make honest mistakes. Thank God we we can correct them. I've made more than my share of honest mistakes. Okay? This is not an honest mistake. The Lord forgives those, okay? When we repent. This is, He has spoken to turn you out of the way. That's His intent. It's not an honest mistake. It's, it's a lie. And he knows it's a lie. And I just want to read this. They, in, in Isaiah 30, 11, it says, Get you out of the way. Turn aside out of the path. Cause the Holy One of Israel to cease from before us. That's how we started this morning. The, the Scripture we read. Don't prophesy real things to us. Prophesy soft things to us. Take, get, get you out of the way. Turn aside out of the path. Cause the Holy One of Israel, that's Almighty God, to cease from before us. But it was still all going on in His name. But we want soft things. 2 Timothy 4. They won't endure sound doctrine, but will heap to themselves teachers having itching ears, and will turn their ears from the truth, and shall be turned unto fables. Same thing, Old Testament, New Testament. I understand we have a greater advantage with the Bible and the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. We have a great advantage. But these, these tests... And in the characteristic of the false is, hasn't really changed, has it? Because it's all from Satan. His or her intent, the false in this case, is to lead people astray, lead people away from the truth, from the ways of God, from biblical teaching, 
and biblical practices away from sound doctrine and worship unto other gods, other ways, other practices, other, quote, worship. And it's really not worship of Jehovah at all. I want to read this scripture. If you're taking notes, Jeremiah 23, 25-27. We'll be closing here in just a moment. I have heard what the prophets said. They, they prophesy lies in my name, saying I've dreamed, I've dreamed. How long shall this be in the heart of the prophets that prophesy lies? Yea, they are prophets of deceit of their own heart, which think to cause my people to forget my name. And they're thinking about that. It's a deceit in their own heart, and they're thinking to cause the people of God to forget the name of God. It says right here, the Lord knows it. So it's not an honest mistake that they just got off a little bit. There's an intent behind the false prophet. They, they which think to cause my people to forget my name by their dreams, which they tell every man and so forth. And, and uh, Jeremiah is filled with scriptures similar to that. But I'm going to give you one statement. We're going to have this statement and we're going to bring this, this message today to a close. Those two, two tests of the false prophet from Deuteronomy are very telling. They're very helpful. They're very clear. We ought to know those scriptures, okay? We ought to know that. But we'll hear a statement. I'm going to give an example. From the pulpit, in the name of the Lord. I've heard it myself. God is attracted to our sin. Have you ever heard that? God is attracted to our sin. That's a lie. You knew it was a lie when I just said it. It's a lie. God's attracted to our sin and it led to, by the end of that sermon, come to this altar and make yourself attractive to God. Quote. What does that mean? It's just we're in stunned silence right now. What does that mean? God is attracted to our sin. First of all, that's a lie. I'll tell you what's true. He loves the sinner. He came on his own to seek and save the lost. To bear our approach and carry that sin away. Your sin has separated between you and your God. There's not one scripture in this holy Bible. Not one. That says that God is attracted to sin. Or to our sin. In fact, I, I got weary of writing them down. All the ones that said how he hates sin. How he abhors it. How he detests it. These six things that the Lord hates. Yea, seven are an abomination unto God. Uh, a, a lying tongue. You know, a false witness. I just got tired of writing them down. How many there were. We need to know this stuff, y'all. And not bob our head like the little bobbin head dolls they give at the baseball games. God is attracted to our sin. And therefore, whatever this means, come to these altars and make yourself attractive to God. Do I need to get in this altar and start sinning so I'll be attractive to God? What does that mean? It's not true. It would lead to a false practice because you know what it would lead to? It would lead to me thinking that God thinks differently about sin than He actually does. And sin is the whole thing. Your sins have separated between you and your God. It's serious. It's not a little uh, phrase. It's not a little modern 
theological term. It's either true or it's false according to the word of God. God is not attracted to our sin. I'll tell you what God does do and, and how he abhors sin. Okay, he abhors it. I'll give a couple of scriptures and I'll, I'll, you'll get tired of hearing them too after a while. Thou art of purer eyes than to behold evil. Thou canst not look on iniquity. But your iniquities have separated between you and your God and your sins have hid his face from you. Does that sound like he's attracted to your sin? We know he's not. We know that that's not true and that he will not hear. Thou lovest righteousness and hatest wickedness. Speaking about Christ, therefore God, thy God, hath anointed thee with the oil of gladness above thy fellows. Romans 12, 9, to the church. Let love be without dissimulation. Abhor that which is evil. Cleave to that which is good. New Testament scripture. It's just, it's not true. It's not of the Lord. Where would that lead to? That God's attracted to our sin. I can tell you one thing it would lead to. Us not dealing with sin in our own lives very seriously. Or not nearly seriously enough. It's more just like I got a little rash. that's bothering me a little bit. But it's no big deal. You understand what I'm saying? It's serious. Sin is serious. Sin had, it's a fall of man. It's everything. It's a promise of a redeemer slain from the foundation of the world because of his great love for sinners. But don't mistake that with him being attracted to sin. It's not the same thing. It's not the same thing at all. He abhors it. These six things does the Lord hate. Yea, seven are abomination unto God. He lists sinful things there. It's a lie. That's not true. And so it would lead people. He's called us to be a holy people. Zealous of good works. Now we fall short. We come short before, certainly before we were saved. We were lost and in sin. And He saved us. And we fall short since we've been sinned. And there's forgiveness. And of what? Of sin. Jesus came to, to, because He loved sinful men, He came and died in the place of sinful man. To that this believer who comes to Christ by faith and turns from their sin would be what? I mention the word sin a lot. Okay, that the believer would be forgiven of their sin, washed from his or her sin, freed from the power of sin, and become holy unto the Lord. But God is not attracted to our sins. Well, here's here's statements like that. To me, that's a, a to turn you out of the way. It's in the name of the Lord, but it's to turn a person out of the way to. Follow after something, some other type of worship where now I'm thinking differently about God that somehow he thinks differently about me. I love the way he thinks about me already in his word. Greater love had no man than this than a man would lay lay down his life for his friends. I love that. He rejoices over us with singing. You understand what I'm saying? I'm accepted in the beloved. Because of Christ. He didn't come to save me and I keep my sin. He came to save me from my sin. If I sin now, today, it's not okay. It can be okay if I confess I'm forgiven and washed in the blood of Jesus. But it's not okay and God doesn't wink at it. And He's not letting it slide. 
He's not attracted to it. And I don't have to make myself attractive to God. He loved me before I knew Him. And all my love is due Him. He plunged me to victory beneath His cleansing flood. We sing the song, Victory in Jesus. He, he loved us despite our sin. He came to get that sin out of the way because it's separated between me and my God. That He wouldn't hear. The sin is loathsome to Him. He abhors it. He wants it out. And in place to put His Holy Son, Jesus, and let His character and nature grow in us. And we have a communion with God. And when we sin, it still grows. And I need to ask God to forgive me immediately, instantly. Don't have to get saved again. Washed in the blood of Jesus. He's not attracted to our sin. Now, I'm going to close with this. The Bible is filled with... Uh, we gave the two from, from Deuteronomy. Test of a false prophet. Okay? Again, we need to know those. But the Bible is filled with tests. How, how the man of God or person, or even an unbeliever who wanted to come to God, would know this is of God and this is not. The Bible is filled with it. The whole Bible. And then we're given as believers the, the spirit of truth. And I want to close with this scripture. Or actually, uh, Matthew 7. We'll turn there, we'll read it together, and I've got one I'm going to quote to you after that. D, you can come on up if you want to. Matthew chapter 7. It's to Jesus speaking. In Matthew 7 15, beware of false prophets which come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravening wolves. We know the passage. We know it well. You've heard this before. They come in a sheep's clothing. But inwardly, they're not a sheep. You know, we're people of God are called sheep, and He's the Good Shepherd. This is a wolf. Inwardly, they're wolf, ravening wolves. Ye shall know them by their fruits. Do men gather grapes of thorns or fig, figs of thistles? Even so, every good tree bringeth forth good fruit, but a corrupt tree bringeth forth evil fruit. A good tree cannot bring forth evil fruit. This is part of the test of a false prophet, okay? Neither can a corrupt tree bring forth good fruit. Every tree that bringeth not forth good fruit is hewn down and cast into the fire. Wherefore, by their fruits ye shall know them. We'll go back to that second test. They prophesy a sign or a wonder, and it does come to pass. But their fruit... Where are they going? Where are they going in their worship of God? Where are they going in their doctrine? Where are they going in their own personal holiness or lack of it? Where are they going in their honesty? Where are they going in their humility? Where are they going in their uh, the people that they've assembled around them? Where are they trying to take me? Even though the sign of prophecy did come true. We'll know them by their fruit. And Isaiah... 30, 21. And thine ears shall hear a word behind thee saying, This is the way, walk ye in it. That's the Lord. Thine ears shall hear a word behind thee saying, This is the way. That's what the Holy Ghost does for us. That's what the living Word of God does in the heart of a believer. This is the way, walk ye in it when you turn to the right hand or to the left. Don't, we don't have to live in fear. Just keep our eyes on Jesus. Keep our eyes walking in the truth. We're going to hear a voice. What if you're all by yourself and you're detached from the rest of the body on a business trip or something like that or away at school or something? You're going to hear a voice behind you. Really, it's in our, in our hearts. The Holy Ghost. 
saying, here's the way, this is the way, walk in this way. Yeah, but they're very convincing. They got a Bible in their hand, but that's not the way the Lord says, here's the way, walk ye in it. And Father, we just come before you in Jesus' name. And God, we pray that we would be uh, discerning people. We pray that we would test the Word of God by the, I mean, test the spirits, that we would test and try the prophets and their prophecies and the teacher and and their teachings by the Word of God and by the Spirit of truth in us, God. We would not be deceived and we would be strong enough, stable enough in Christ and see clearly enough to be able to, to warn others. They may heed or they may not heed, but we have to at least do what we can do to heed those that you put in our lives, to heed and warn those that you have showed us to heed and to warn. We pray for those that are in deception that you would bring them out, that their eyes would be open, God, to the truth. It's not a game. We praise you and we thank you, Lord, for keeping us. And y'all, these altars are open. Just get a hold of the Lord. Get a hold of the Lord for a little while. Just meet with Him and call upon Him. We'll come back together and pray tonight and have communion together as well. Let's take a few minutes before we leave today and call upon the Lord.